There is nothing wrong with your listening device. Do not attempt to adjust the signal. We are controlling transmission. If we wish to make it louder, we will bring up the volume. If we wish to make it softer, we will tune it to a whisper. We will control the amplitude. We will control the frequency. We can change your mind from a foggy blur into a focused intelligence of crystal clarity. For the next 180 minutes, sit quietly and we will control all you hear. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the pop machine. Extraneous mind-altering substances are not included. <laughs> it's Thursday night and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. Alright, everybody squeeze in. Say cheese! Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... ...could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. What are you doing out here? Hey, what's going on? Leave us alone, Herman. We're just talking. Listen, uh, we don't need you talking to her, okay? Hey, I hey. said leave us alone. We're just talking about the ocean. This nigger's trying to pick up on Barbara. That's what's wrong. Hey, Phil, what's wrong with you? You got I a problem? Trouble. You already got trouble. I'm not. Just trying to be polite. No, you're not. We're talking about the ocean. Hey there. What do you want? What's going on? What do you want? What do I want? I want to see your brains. Oh, shit. Run, man, run! I'm sorry, sir. I didn't mean it. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. You're sorry enough? Yes, sir. I am. You're sorry enough? Yes, sir. Yeah. Then prove it. Come on. Prove it. Show him. Come on. Come on. You son of a bitch. I think he's got the point. You heard me. Go on. He's got the point! Do it! I'll kill you. I'll blow your brains out. Okay, okay, okay. Don't shoot me, please. Now go on. Go on. <laughs> Son of a gun. You're gonna do it, aren't you? Sick bastard. Oh, my Get the hell out of here. All the cops. I kill you. Hurry up, man! Come on. Come on. <laughs> I don't think they dare call the cops, but uh, we better get the hell out of here in case they do. <laughs> you got easy. Ain't no harm gonna come to that girl or anybody else comes to me.
it! Hey, mister! What time is it? It's the top of the one o'clock hour. My name is Dale Pazinski. I'm 19 years old, and this is how I live United. I've always been kind of a computer geek, and I found a way to use those skills to help the homeless in my community. For people facing hard times, computer skills and a basic resume are so important. It may seem like a small thing, but it makes a huge difference in people's lives. So with United Way, I created a program where I work with the homeless. Together, we go through their whole job history, write a resume, and then save it on their very own USB drive. We provide workbooks and training certificates. I even budgeted for cupcakes so we can celebrate as a class when one of our people gets a job. That's huge. When somebody says, hey man, that job that you helped me apply for, I got it. That's what Living United feels like to me. My name is Dale Pazinski. I help people achieve financial independence. So I don't just wear the shirt, I live it. Give, advocate, volunteer, live united. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. First Aid Comics. 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 Is where you go to get caught up on heroes from your past and new characters who will inspire you to tell your friends about First Aid Comics. 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 At 55th Street and Cornell in Hyde Park. Call 1-773-75-COMIC. That's 1-773-75-COMIC. Yes, okay, good for you guys. Great. He started here uh, as one of the regulars here at the comic strip back in the summer of 1976. Let's welcome him back home, Gary Seinfeld! Nice to be here. I can't believe I'm back here. This is really great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. How do you like the jacket? Yeah, this is my favorite jacket. It's a special night. I want to wear my special jacket because I'm back at the comic strip, which is where I started my entire career right here on this stage. And uh, I'll tell you the whole story. I'll tell you how it all happened. But I was living in uh, Massapequa. I'm born in uh, Brooklyn. That's uh, my home borough. And then my parents moved out to Massapequa, which is an Indian name. It means by them all. <laughs> Even the Native Americans could sense once the Jews and the Italians get out here, brick and mortar retail is going to crush. Let's lose the teepees. These people need parking. So we moved out from the city to on Long Island. You don't live in Long Island, you live on Long Island. You live in the city, you tell people, people ask you where do you live, you go, we live in the city. My parents say, Jerry, we're going to the city today, so get ready, we're going in. We're gonna get on the train, we don't get in the train. You get on the train, even though you see trains, there's nobody on it. You never see anybody on top of a train, but that's how you talk. If you want to live here, this is how you talk. We're going to get on the train. Why do you get on the train? 
Why? So you can get off it. Get off the train. This is our stop. We got to get in the cab. You don't get on the cab. You were on the train, but you don't get on the cab. You get in the cab. Why do you get in the cab? So you can get out. You got to get out of the We're here. Get out of the cab. We're here. Why are you still in the cab? Get out of the cab. Okay, Jerry, what about Uber? What do you do with Uber? That's the new thing. Do you get in it? No. On it? No. Off it? No. What do you do with Uber? No. No. You take it. You take Uber. Because there's no money. It's like free. I don't even know how it works. Do we even pay for that? I think it's just a free thing comes with the phone. Anytime, it's just like little cartoon cars, like, whatever you want. How'd you get here? We took an Uber. We just, you know, we just, it's like M&M's in a bowl. You just take them. Just take them if you want. And uh, so I came here and I, and I auditioned on this stage. And the little sign-up sheet is outside that I wrote with my little Jerry Seinfeld, you know, just my parents' address and uh, type of act comedian any special requirements no and I only had one joke that worked which I'm gonna do for you right now and if you ever think yourself that you might want to someday do comedy this is not the way you do it don't ever say, I'm going to tell you a joke now. So I'm left-handed. Left-handed people do not like that the word left is so often associated with negative things. Do left feet, left-handed compliment. What are we having for dinner? Leftovers. You go to a party, there's nobody there. Where'd everybody go? They left. That was it. That was my first joke. And it's a pretty good joke. And uh, they passed me on the audition, and I started coming here every single night. So I grew up in the 60s, and I see a lot of beautiful uh, young people here tonight enjoying your life of uh, infinite potential and opportunity. <laughs> because you're young, and your life is still ahead of you, and it's all going to happen. Let me tell you a little punk something. <laughs> You didn't even have a childhood. You had nothing. You had garbage compared to what we had in the 60s. And you know why? Your parents paid attention to you. Okay? They were interested in you. My parents, our parents, they didn't even know our names. Okay? They were ignorant. They were negligent. They were checked out. We grew up like wild dogs in the 60s. There was no nutrition. Nothing of knowledge, of nutrition, education, safety. Can you even imagine the world I am describing? No helmets, no seatbelts, no restraints. Anything came to a stop, we just flew through the air. I was either eating 100% sugar or airborne. That was my childhood. 
My parents, they did not know where my school was. They did not know what my grades were. They didn't know where I was. I was like a raccoon to my parents. You know there's one around, but no one's tracking the actual whereabouts. I'd roll out of bed, I would do a swan dive into Cocoa Puffs, Frosted Flakes, Lucky Charms, Fruit Loops, Sugar Pops. I'm getting a little lightheaded right now, actually, just thinking about it. It was so amazing, and it was great. We were getting away with murder. And now, nerd news. Nerd used to be a bad word. <laughs> well, hello and welcome to Nerd News for September 10th, 2018. Lots of stuff happened last week that have the break rooms buzzing today. They say they usually go in threes, and unfortunately, the third one happened to be Burt Reynolds. Hot on the heels of Aretha Franklin and John McCain. I doubt that Burt Reynolds' uh, funeral will have as much fanfare as the Queen of Souls, and definitely less fanfare than that of John McCain, but Burt Reynolds was still just as much an icon in popular culture as the other two people. A Florida-born boy uh, with a father who was, uh, I think, a uh, police officer. Big six-foot-four neck snapper. And, um, well, Bert was something of a butthole as a teenager, and his father would let him rot in jail when he got arrested for fighting in bars and leave him in there and, you know, throw winos in there on top of him uh, for the several days that he had to stay in there. His old man was uh, quite the father. Uh, in Bert's culture, you weren't a man until your father said you were a man, which was likely a manifestation of his Cherokee ancestry on his father's side. And Bert's father never told him that he was a man, so Bert acted out a lot. Bert loved him, of course. Sometimes you can't help it, though. It's always the preacher's son or the cop's son that's the first one to smoke weed, steal cars, and do other stupid stuff. Anyway, Bert turned his energy into a career in Hollywood where he competed with Clint Eastwood at the box office. You know, one up in each other until they finally both appeared in a movie together called uh, City Heat, I think it was called. Yeah, you know, it was panned by critics and did mediocre box office, but at least they got a chance to work together on screen at the same time. Bird was an early advocate for diversity in his movies and would stand up for casting choices when Hollywood wanted to just totally blue-eye and whitewash his films, which was something to be commended for back in the day when he was a matinee idol. Bird did a lot of crazy things, like he was the first male centerfold in the Playgirl magazine. Bird had a lot of women, of course, being a Hollywood hunk. Lonnie Anderson and Sally Field are two of the actresses I remember. I think he had a special place in his heart for Sally Field. They didn't want to cast her and I think it was Smokey and the Bandit. And he insisted. In his early career, Burt played a lot of uh, ethnic parts as Indians, you know, Gunsmoke and other Westerns. And he even had a movie that was supposed to make him as famous as Clint Eastwood where he played uh, Navajo Joe. Uh, that movie didn't work out for him. 
But in the early uh, 60s, he was, or mid-60s, he played a character called Hawk, an Iroquois Indian cop who had a black partner. This was rare stuff in 1966 to have such a show with a progressive plot line. And uh, they even had an episode about a guy with autism. And they treated it uh, with sensitivity uh, that we still don't get today. Uh, Gene Hackman in the first episode of the pilot played a a serial killer. Uh, The show is going to be available to you people who have cable or satellite services on Get TV on September 15th. And along with that is another series Burt Reynolds did in the 70s called Dan August, which was another cop procedural show. So if you want to get up on your early, on your very early Burt Reynolds, then uh, you have an opportunity next week, or is that this week? Uh, end of the week, on the 15th, whatever day that is. I don't have a calendar in front of me, and I can't calculate five days from Monday which usually is Saturday. So that's what is going on with Bert. Gonna miss you, man. Loved your work. You know, they say they go in threes, but there's always a second tier that follows the major three. So far, I think we're down to two of the second tier three. In the second tier is Bill Daly, who played Roger Healy, the sidekick of Major Nelson on I Dream of Jeannie, and he was also on the Bob Newhart show. Got his start in stand-up with Bob Newhart. I think it was in Chicago back in the 50s. So he's out of here, as well as a rapper who is known among rappers and younger people, I suppose, or people who have heard his music, uh, Mac Miller, 26-year-old rapper and former boyfriend of Ariana Grande. He's dead from a drug overdose. He was supposed to wait until his next birthday of 27 if he was going to be remembered in the pantheon of 27-year-old musician deaths. You know, along with Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, and Amy Winehouse. Now that he did it at 26, he's likely to be quickly forgotten. For those of you too old to be up on slang anymore, and that should be anyone over 30, you should be giving it up by then, because you just sound totally goofy trying to keep slang in your colloquials. This guy, Mac, is known for his hit titled, uh, Loud. And if, you know, you know what loud is, if you've heard the dope dealers on the street saying, loud, 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 they're talking about loud, which is a reference to marijuana. It's supposed to be strong, loud, you know, stinky, loud. Uh, speaking of which, Elon Musk was seen smoking dope on camera on a podcast. It caused his stock price to drop. He was drinking and smoking, actually. I've seen that video. That's what we used to call making a dope fiend move. You know, being a wealthy so-called genius ain't easy. Just ask any wealthy so-called genius. I'm pretty sure life was rough for Steve Jobs outside of stacking up money and screaming at people. Uh, Let's see. Jeffrey Owens gets back into acting. You know, that was the guy that was on the Cosby show back in the 80s. Which makes me wonder, if you're going to work in that particular industry, you can't just be an actor. You can't be a one-trick pony. But the industry is really owned and run by producers and directors. So if you want to be a stage actor, yeah, you know, just act. You don't have to do too much else. Even then, you should probably be thinking about producing 
and mounting plays. If you want to keep working, you got to take the responsibility for creating the work. But some fool tried to shame him on social media for working at Trader Joe's. She took a picture and then tried to shame him on the internet. Now a lot of people were like, what's wrong with her? Why did she do that? Well, I think I have an explanation um, for that. I think it was, let's see, who said this? Uh, author Schopenhauer, I think I can quote him. And he said that uh, many people think that the limits of their imagination are those of the world. So in other words, just because you have a pea brain and can't think outside of it, doesn't mean that the rest of the world is stuck in that same little pea brain box that your mind is in. So your imagination can't go any further than whatever it's contained in. Doesn't mean that the rest of the world is going to uh, do the same. So just because you're a peon doesn't mean that everyone else is. So she thought that he should be is still in Hollywood, you know, on red carpet and things. But life, reality of life means that you do what you got to do to get that cash flow. So he's put back in acting after that fool tried to shame him. I think he's on the Oprah Network on OWN in the um, Tyler Perry drama, The Have and the Have Nots. So right on for you, Jeffrey Owens. Next time, pay attention to everything that's going on on set. Learn how to operate the camera, learn how to produce, learn how to direct. Keep yourself employed. If you want to stay in that industry, you got to do more than just hit your marks and say your lines. Nicki Minaj, she offered Jeffrey uh, 25 grand. I don't know if he took it or not. She offered Cardi B a big knot above her left eye after a dust up over some comments about motherhood at some fashion function involving the rap world. The situation went quickly from motherhood to straight up hood with shoe throwing and ass kicking. At least now I can tell them apart since they both look alike. I know the one with the knot over her eye is Cardi B. But this ain't over since they both took to Instagram for more drama until the rematch. Uh, can we all just get along? Okay, so in politics, Barack Obama's making moves as the midterm elections loom closer. He's dissing Trump by name now. Trump fired back saying Obama put him to sleep with all of that yakety yak. So, gone are the days when politicians tried to be, you know, dignified. What's next? Uh, I mean, I know they threw shoes at George Bush, but he's got a good move for ducking shoes. Maybe he could train, like, you know people that get shoes thrown at them like Cardi B threw a shoe at Nicki Minaj but I don't think she hit her target I don't know what Nicki Minaj hit Cardi B with except probably a, a stiff overhand right with all her weight behind it or maybe she just kept her shoe in her hand and wailed on it okay uh Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel pulls off an LBJ and announces that he will not seek re-election Somebody threw Valerie Jarrett's name in the hat and she says, thanks, but no thanks. That bus is too big. She will not run in front of that bus. Now, in uh, the state of Texas, there is a very strange story of a police woman who comes home and finds a black man in what she thought was her apartment, so she says, and she shoots him dead. Now, I can understand people confusing 
cars in a parking lot because a lot of times cars look alike. I was sitting in my car once out in front of a fast food joint and a woman who I did not know ran up to my car, hopped in my car with the food. And then a couple of seconds later, she looked over at me because the car wasn't moving because I was looking at her like, well, either you're gonna give me some of that chicken or you're gonna, you know, get out. So she hopped out of the car in a hurry, embarrassed like, and ran back another car to the one that she was supposed to hop in. This time she looked to make sure the driver was the person that she expected. Um, I had the same kind of thing happen at my home. There was a ring at the door. I opened the door. A nice looking woman brushed past me carrying a tray of hot food and got all the way into my kitchen before she realized that she was in the wrong house. There was no one home but me and maybe the cat. So embarrassed, she rushed past me because I was still at the front door, hopped in her Mercedes and uh, sped off while I was giving her directions to the house that she really wanted to go to, which was uh, in the next block behind me. So that kind of thing does happen, but this particular cop says she went home after working a full shift and walked into the wrong apartment. Now an apartment, in this case that you live at, would look familiar to you for the furnishings, etc, etc. Plus, how do you enter the place without the proper set of keys? She found a black man in there and she shot him. No one knows what transpired inside the place, but her story sounds a little fishy to me. The guy she shot was 26-year-old black man, unarmed of course, named Baltham Shim John or Jean. And he can add his name to the long, long list of black people murdered for reflecting an offensive spectrum of light waves into the eyes of an armed white police officer. In other words, they should have learned to become transparent when their black asses were looked upon by white police officers with itchy trigger fingers. What more can you do? What was he doing at home in the first place in his own apartment? Especially while being black. That's what I want to know. So she thought the apartment was hers. What the hell is wrong with this picture besides everything? Like I said, I wonder how she got in with out the proper keys did he leave his door open like that and just say uh come on in did he have the exact same furniture as she did did they shop at ikea together one day did she think he broke into her apartment and had it redecorated and why isn't she facing murder charges along with breaking and entering why is she just being offered a manslaughter charge that doesn't sound like an unintentional killing to me. Anyway, in sports, Serena Williams is making her comeback after a near-fatal childbirth. As a postscript among developed nations, the United States has an infant mortality rate much higher than other developed nations. What's wrong with that picture? There's something backwards about 
maternal medicine in America. But now I'm getting off on another tangent. Back to Serena Williams and her loss to Naomi Osaka, the 20-year-old upstart in the U.S. Open. Uh, Serena had a lot of problems with Ramos, who kept hassling her. Well, I don't know if he kept hassling her, but he didn't treat her the same way he would have treated her when she called him a thief. He snatched her when she went to the player's box, which he was giving her a hard time. Here's my take on the whole thing. Um, Naomi Osaka grew up watching Serena Williams and idolizing her. So... She comes to the game with all of this knowledge of everything Serena. Serena didn't have that same advantage to know everything there is to know about Naomi Osaka, so she was at a slight disadvantage. Serena's 36, Osaka is 20. Now, even though older players in tennis are staying on top because they have the resources and the money to keep their game in tip-top shape, Osaka comes to the game having studied Serena, idolizing her. So it's like a gunslinger situation. The young upstart knows all your moves and how you play the game. And so being good on top of that, that's quite a handful. Besides, there's always some young upstart coming to knock the old hat off the perch. And so Serena just lost a game, but she will, in the rematch, give Osaka an old school lesson in how the game is played. You can believe that. Meanwhile, Osaka can enjoy her first U.S. Open and is now a star on the circuit. And then there's all the other stuff, the drama about the sexism and whatnot that also plays a part and Osaka will have to experience some of that herself. So all in all, it was a great game. 115 mile an hour serves from Osaka, zipping across the net. But you know, Serena's been through a lot lately. And so she's going to definitely, definitely hold her own going forward. This is just a loss, not the end of a career or anything like that. Speaking of career ends, uh, people assume that Colin Kaepernick was washed up in this collusion against him to keep him out of the NFL because of his protests against the murders of black people across the United States. Of course, they want to certain people want to take the uh, point that he's making and subvert it to one about the flag and the one guy i saw on tv was making a point that in world war one some baseball players saluted blah 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 and it's like what the hell is that got to do with black people being shot in their own apartment while being black by police officers who mistakenly enter and go oh what the hell is that nigger doing in here bang bang oops uh i'm not in the right apartment Oh, well, you know, that's what Colin Kaepernick's taking a knee about. This kind of bull, not denigrating the flag. You know, I mean, come on. Let's keep the argument focused on what it's about and quit trying to BS everyone into thinking it's about something else. 
yourself. Believe in something even if it means sacrificing everything. And that's what Colin Kaepernick has done. Donald Trump Jr. mocked the ad by switching out Kaepernick's picture for President Trump's, his daddy. It's not about Trump. So idiots are burning their expensive Nike shoes on social media. And I heard one of them forgot to take the shoes off before it set them on fire. Well, that may or may not be true, but I can believe it. Now, on Chicago's lakefront, for the last two days, the wind and the waves have been treacherous. This is a warning to all of you who are trying to get your last summer days in, walking close to the lake. When the winds get near 30 miles an hour and the 10 foot waves are crashing down, stay away. A guy got swept in there yesterday, or the day before yesterday, and uh, they found him. Uh, he's in the hospital in critical condition. I don't know what his current state is, but yeah, Lake Michigan does not play. It's a thousand feet deep. There's enough water in Lake Michigan to cover the United States coast to coast in one foot of water. So if you want to mess around with mother nature like that, when the waves are high and the winds are up, you know, it's on you. But just don't expect to be found like this last guy. That's a lot of water. Okay. You've got to respect mother nature. If you don't, she might cancel your ticket. And so that's that. Well, let me ask you a question. What are you reading lately? Want some suggestions? I've got a couple. Nonfiction, of course, because right now, with all of the stuff that's going on in our society, fiction can't possibly be as entertaining. First book I'd like to recommend is Writers Under Surveillance. It's the FBI Files, edited by J. Pat Brown and B.C.D. Lipton and Michael Morrissey, with a foreword by Cory Doctorow. This book's just out this month. Writers are dangerous. They have ideas. The proclivity of writers for ideas drove the FBI to investigate many of them, to watch them, follow them, start files on them. Writers Under Surveillance gathers some of these files, giving readers a surveillance state perspective on writers, including Hannah Arendt, for which there's a movie coming out shortly, Tom Clancy, Allen Ginsberg, Ernest Hemingway, Susan Sontag, Ayn Rand, and Hunter S. Thompson. Obtained with Freedom of Information requests by Muckrock, a nonprofit dedicated to freeing American history from the locked filing cabinets of government agencies. The files on these authors are surprisingly wide ranging. The investigations were as broad and varied as the author's own works. James Baldwin, for example, was so openly antagonistic to the state's security apparatus that investigators followed his every move. Ray Bradbury, on the other hand, was likely unaware that the Bureau had any interest in his work. Bradbury was a target because an informant warned that science fiction was a Soviet plot to weaken American resolve. Ernest Hemingway, true to form, drunkenly called the FBI Nazis and sissies. The files have been edited for length and clarity, but beyond that, everything in the book is pulled directly from investigatory files. Some investigations lasted for years, others just a few days. Some are thrilling narratives, others never really go anywhere. Some are funny, others are harrowing. 
Despite the federal government's periodic admission of past wrongdoing, investigations like these will probably continue to happen. Like all that seems best forgotten, the Bureau's investigation of writers should be remembered. We owe it to ourselves. Now this weighs in at 416 pages. Comes out this month, and it's only gonna set you back $24.95. This next book might be of interest since school has just started and some of you have children that you want to do well since you're footing the bill. It's called The Genius Checklist. Nine Paradoxical Tips on How You Can Become a Creative Genius. Written by Dean Keith Simonton. What does it take to be a genius? A high score on an IQ test? Brilliant physicist Richard Feynman's IQ was too low for membership in Mensa. Suffering from varying degrees of mental illness? Creativity is often considered a marker of mental health. Be a child prodigy like Mozart or a late bloomer like Beethoven? Die tragically young, like Keats, or live to a ripe old age, like Goethe. In the Genius Checklist, Dean Keith Simonton examines the key factors in creative genius and finds that they are more than a little contradictory. Simonton, who has studied creativity and genius for more than four decades, draws on both scientific research and stories from the lives of famous creative geniuses that range from Isaac Newton to Vincent Van Gogh to Virginia Woolf. Now, he explains the origin of IQ tests and the art of estimating the IQ of long-dead historical figures. John Stuart Mill, 200. Charles Darwin, 160. He compares IQ scores with achieved eminence as measures of genius, and he draws a distinction between artistic and scientific genius. He offers a nuanced view of birth order as an influential factor. In the James family, for example, three geniuses at three different birth order positions. William James, firstborn. Henry James, secondborn. Alice James, born fifth and last. I guess everybody else just came out your average dummies. Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hour rule and describes how the lone genius gets enmeshed in social networks. Genius, Simonton explains, operates in ways so subtle that they seem contradictory. Genius is born and made, the domain of child prodigies and their elders. Simonton's checklist gives us a new, integrative way to understand geniuses and perhaps even to nurture your own genius. Dean Keith Simonton, an expert on creativity and genius, is distinguished professor emeritus in the Department of Psychology at the University of California. What it takes to be a genius, nine essential and contradictory ingredients comes out this month, September, at a bookstore near you or online. Who knows where a bookstore is these days? And it weighs in at 336 pages, eight illustrations, a cover price of $27.95. The last book I'm going to recommend today is The AI Advantage, How to Put the Artificial Intelligence Revolution to Work. Written by Thomas H. Davenport. Thomas Davenport offers a guide to using artificial intelligence, also known as cognitive technologies, in business. He describes what technologies are available and how companies can use them for business benefits and competitive advantage. He cuts through the hype of the AI craze, 
Remember when it seemed plausible that IBM's Watson could cure cancer? To explain how businesses can put artificial intelligence to work now in the real world, his key recommendation, don't go for the moonshot. Curing cancer or synthesizing all investment knowledge, look for the low-hanging fruit to make your company more efficient. Davenport explains that the business value AI offers is solid rather than sexy or splashy. AI will improve products and processes and make decisions better informed. Important, but largely invisible tasks. AI technologies won't replace human workers, but augment their capabilities with smart machines to work alongside smart people. AI can automate structured and repetitive work, provide extensive analysis of data through machine learning, analytics on steroids, and engage with customers and employees via chatbots and intelligent agents. Companies should experiment with these technologies and develop their own expertise. Davenport describes the major AI technologies and explains how they are being used, reports on the AI work done by large commercial enterprises like Amazon and Google, and outlines strategies and steps to becoming a cognitive corporation. This book provides an invaluable guide to the real-world future of business AI, written by Thomas H. Davenport. He's the President's Distinguished Professor of Information, Technology and Management at Babson College. He is the author of Only Humans Need Apply, Winners and Losers in the Age of Smart Machines, with Julia Kirby and other books. How Business Can Put Artificial Intelligence to Work Now, a guide to available technologies, the tasks they can do, and practical AI business strategy. Comes out in November. Six by nine, 256 pages, six illustrations, and it'll only set you back $29.95. Okay, I said only three books, but l let me put this one in here too. It's called Craft Weed. That's right, Craft Weed, Family Farming and the Future of the Marijuana Industry by Ryan Stoa. Now, what will the marijuana industry look like as legalization spreads? I know I've wondered about that, and everyone speculated that the government would just come in and run rampant over it all. Will corporations sweep in and create big marijuana like we've got big pharma, flooding the market with mass-produced weed? Or will marijuana agriculture stay true to its roots in family farming? Personally, I don't think it's going to make it. And reflect a sustainable, local, and artisanal ethic. In Craft Weed, Ryan Stoa argues that the future of the marijuana industry should be powered by small farms, that its model should be more craft beer than Anheuser-Busch. To make his case for Craft Weed, Stoa interviews veteran and novice marijuana growers, politicians, activists, and investors. He provides a history of marijuana farming and its post-hippie resurgence in the United States. He reports on the amazing adaptability of the cannabis plant and its genetic gifts, the legalization movement, regulatory efforts, the trade-offs of indoor versus outdoor farms, hydroponics anybody, hydro, and the environmental impacts of marijuana agriculture. To protect and promote small farmers in their communities, Stoa proposes a marijuana appellation system modeled after the wine industry that did come to my mind which would provide a certified designation of origin to local crops a sustainable local and artisanal farming model is not an inevitable future for the marijuana industry but 
Craft Weed makes clear that marijuana legalization has the potential to revitalize rural communities and the American family farm. Everybody's going to be going back to the farm and getting high. As the era of marijuana prohibition comes to an end, now is the time to think about what kind of marijuana industry and marijuana agriculture we want. Craft Weed will help us plan for a future that is almost here. Loud, 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 baby. Ryan Stoy is Associate Professor of Law at Concordia University School of Law in Boise, Idaho. The book, How the Future of Post-Legalization Marijuana Farming Can Be Sustainable, Local and Artisanal, Craft Weed, comes out in November. It will be a 6 by 9 book with 248 pages. The list price is $27.95. Summer's over. I know. Three months of summer goes like one day of summer. It's over with before you know it. Now it's time for our thoughts and our minds to turn to more cerebral things. The movies are going to get a little bit more heavy. The blockbusters are going to have to go into incubation until next summer. And of course, there are still comics which keep on doing their thing no matter what the season is. So. Let's open the pull box and see what's in store for you this Wednesday at a comic collector's shop near you. From Marvel Comics comes Amazing Spider-Man number 5. Written by Nick Spencer, art by Ryan Otley. Things look bad for Peter Parker, but great for Spider-Man. The first arc of the epic new run on ASM. That's Amazing Spider-Man comes to a climactic finish and it's rated t and it's in shops this wednesday september 12th for a suggested retail price of 3.99 and next we have from marvel as well fantastic four number two written by dan slot with art by sarah picelli and cover by esad ribic wish you were here what have reed sue and the kids been up to all this time what adventures have they been on what strange new friends have they found along the way what deadly new enemies have they made? And what are Franklin and Valeria's new code names? All these questions will be answered just in time for entire universes to die. The return of Marvel's first family keeps getting more and more intense. Don't you dare miss a single moment of the world's greatest comic magazine rated T in shops Wednesday, September 12th for a suggested retail price of $3.99. DC Comics is giving us Superman number three. Written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Joe Prado and Ivan Rice. Guest starring the Justice League. Locked inside the Phantom Zone, the Earth stands poisoned and its heroes lie dying with no idea how to escape the deadly Kryptonian trap. But an even deadlier threat invades as Rogal Zar teams with those who have been imprisoned inside the Phantom Zone to use Earth to escape, not caring if they destroy the planet to do it. In shops September 12th, that's a Wednesday folks, suggested retail price is $3.99. DC has Catwoman number 3, written and drawn by Joel Jones. The secret shot caller, who's been borrowing Catwoman's M.O. for a series of crimes, steps out of the shadows in this issue. 
and her secret origin is unlike anything Selena's run into before. Meanwhile, the police close in on Catwoman as well, as they believe she killed a cop during one of the crimes she's been framed for. With nowhere to go and no one to turn to, Catwoman's running out of her nine lives fast. This is in shop September 12th Wednesday for a suggested retail price of $3.99. Jumping over to Image Comics, we have Oblivion Song, number seven. Written by Robert Kirkman with art by Lorenzo De Felici. New story arc in the wake of last issue's startling revelation. Nathan Cole's world comes crashing down around him. For the sake of two worlds, he must pick up the pieces and carry on. In shop September 12th Wednesday for a suggested retail price of $3.99. Image Comics offers Cemetery Beach, number one of seven. Written by Warren Ellis, art by Jason Howard. From the creators of the acclaimed Trees graphic novels, which are currently being adapted for television, comes something completely different. A professional pathfinder, his only ally a disaffected young murderess, breaks out of a torture cell in pursuit of his worst extraction scenario ever escaping on foot across a sprawling and secret off-world colony established a hundred years ago and filled with generations of lunatics. Warren Ellis and Jason Howard ignite a high-speed new action serial and it's in shops September 12th Wednesday suggested retail price $3.99. Dark Horse Comics has Mystery Science Theater 3000 Number one, written by Joel Hodgson, Harold Buchholz, Matt McGinnis, Mary Robinson, Seth Robinson, Cheryl Volpe. Art by Mike Manley, Wes Dizioba, cover by Todd Nock. The riffing hilarity of Mystery Science Theater 3000 comes to comics when Kinga Forrester pairs her Kinga Chrome liquid medium with her latest invention, the Bubbleot R. Jonah Heston, Crow T. Robot, and Tom Servo find themselves thrust into the 2D world of public domain comics with riffing as their only defense. Created for comics by Joel Hodgson, the hit Netflix show has come to comics. Variant cover by longtime MST3K DVD artist Steve Vance. And shops September 12th, Wednesday for a suggested retail price of $3.99. And from IDW Publishing and Top Shelf comes League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Tempest Number 2. Written by Alan Moore, art by Kevin O'Neill. Opening with a 1919 death match between two American superhumans in the ruins of Utopia. The second issue of Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill's final volume of the beloved comic series takes its readers on a breathtaking ride over the waterfall of storytelling styles. From a startling 21st century Lincoln Island and its current incarnation of the legendary Captain Nemo through a New York coping with an aging costume hero population. To a London where a drastic escalation is commenced by the rejuvenated sociopath controlling MI5. All this in a further reprinted adventure of 1960 super team 
The Seven Stars awaits in issue two of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, volume four, The Tempest. This is in shop September 12th, Wednesday for a suggested retail price of $4.99. Dynamite Entertainment has Elvira, Mistress of Dark, number two. Written by David Avalon, art by Dave Acosta with cover by Joseph Michael Lindsner. Nevermore. The Mistress of the Dark. Time travels to 1838 Philadelphia for a black cat and mouse game between America's greatest poet of horror and the scariest tyrant of medieval Europe. Elvira and Edgar Allan Poe face down a ravenous foe. In the second chapter of Elvira, Time Scream. From David Avalon, who's done Betty Page, and Dave Acosta, who's done 12 Devils Dancing, the amazing team who brought you Doc Savage, Ring of Fire, and Twilight Zone, The Shadow, will be in shops September 12th, this Wednesday, for a suggested retail price of $3.99. Boom Studios has Low Road West, number one of five, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, with art by Flaviano. Eisner Award-nominated writer Philip Kennedy Johnson, who's done The Power of the Dark Crystal, Aquaman, an artist, Flaviano, who's done America, Grayson, present a new limited series. In the aftermath of a nuclear first strike that has left the East Coast uninhabitable. Thought it was already uninhabitable. Five teenagers are being sent west, away from the wreckage that was once their home. Halfway through the Oklahoma Dust Bowl, the shuttle that promised safety has broken down stranding them in the middle of nowhere with only one another to count on. Their only hope seems to be a town just on the edge of the horizon, but the closer they get, the stranger things become. If they want to survive, they will have to learn to trust one another, and with society crumbling around them, trust does not come easily. In shops, September 12, 2018, Wednesday, for a suggested retail price of $3.99. Archie Comic Publications is offering Archie 1941, number one of five. Written by Mark Wade and Brian Augustine with art by Kelly Fitzpatrick and Peter Krause. The historic, groundbreaking miniseries starts here. Archie has been around for over 75 years and has been through many significant moments in time. But never before have we seen the characters take on real-world events as they unfold. World War II is looming, and Archie and many young men from Riverdale are close to enlistment age. If you were a Riverdale teen, how would you cope with a looming, world-changing event? Join the writing team of Mark Wade and Brian Augustine, along with artist Peter Krause, for the all-new miniseries that is sure to have everyone talking. Everyone who reads comics, that is. In shops, September 12th, suggested retail price, $3.99. From Tokyo Pop comes Nightmare Before Christmas, Zero's Journey, number three. Written by DJ Milky, with art by Kai Ishiyama and cover by Kiyoshi Aria. When Jack Skellington's faithful pet, Zero, gets lost, the ghost pup must get the help of the residents of Christmastown to find his way back. With Halloween plans on hold while Jack mounts a search, will they be reunited in time to save both holidays? 
explore the magical realms of Halloween Town and Christmas Town through the eyes of Zero as he tries to find his way home in an unfamiliar world. In shops, September 12th, Wednesday for a suggested retail price of $3.99. Among the graphic novels, we have Marvel tossing down Star Wars Thrawn. Written by Jody Hauser, art by Luke Ross, and cover by Paul Renault. He's one of the most cunning and ruthless warriors in the history of Star Wars. Now discover how Grand Admiral Thrawn became one of the most feared military tacticians in the galaxy, far, far away. Jody Hauser and Luke Ross adapt Timothy Zahn's New York Times best-selling novel about Thrawn's rise through the Imperial ranks. Meet young Lieutenant Thrawn, who graduated the Imperial Academy with the highest marks possible. He's been assigned his own personal assistant, Ensign Eli Vanto, and is ascending quickly. But that doesn't mean everyone in the Imperial Navy wants him to succeed. You know, there's always some haters in the bunch. And Thrawn isn't the Empire's only rising star. So is Arinda Price. The two rivals' paths cross, and tensions run high when they discover a dark secret within the Empire. Collecting Star Wars Thrawn numbers 1 through 6 rated T in shops Wednesday, September 12th. It'll only set you back for $17.99 or less if you're a haggler. DC Comics has Wonder Woman Trade Paperback Volume 6, Children of the Gods. James Robinson on the writing and Carlo Pugalian and Sergio Davila and Emanuela Lapacino and Steven Segovia and Raul Fernandez and Ebe Ferriara and Mick Gray and Scott Hanna and Ray McCarthy and Mark Morales and Sean Parsons and Jason Paz and Art Thibbert on the interior art. And the cover was done by Jenny Frizen. Taken away from the Miscara. Taken away from Themyscira in the dead of night, the mysterious Jason has been hidden somewhere far from the sight of gods and men. But his life and Wonder Woman's are about to interact in a terrifying way, bringing them face to face with a cosmic threat they never imagined. Well, most cosmic threats are never imagined unless it's a meteor or an asteroid that's gonna hit the Earth then you never imagine that it's going to happen. Hence Armageddon. <coughs> DC Comics has Wonder Woman trade paperback volume 6, Children of the Gods. It's written by James Robinson with a handful of artists on the interior art. Carlo Pagalayan, Sergio Davila, Emanuela Lapuccino, Steven Segovia, Raul Fernandez, Eber Ferreira, Mick Gray, Scott Hanna, Ray McCarthy, Mark Morales, Sean Parsons, Jason Paz, Art Thibbert, and the cover by Jenny Frizen. Taken away from Themyscira in the dead of night, mysterious Jason has been hidden somewhere far from the sight of gods and men. But his life and Wonder Woman's are about to intersect in a terrifying way 
bringing them face to face with a cosmic threat they never imagined. From superstar writer James Robinson and artist Carlo Pugalayan comes the next great Wonder Woman epic in Wonder Woman Volume 6, Children of the Gods. This collects Wonder Woman number 31 through 37 and it's in shops not this Wednesday but October 10th Wednesday. Suggested retail price is $16.99. So you've got a head start on saving your lunch money. If you want to buy it, that is. Image Comics has Oblivion Song by Kirkman and DeFelici, Trade Paperback Volume 1. Of course, it's written by Robert Kirkman with art by Lorenzo DeFelici. A decade ago, 300,000 citizens of Philadelphia were suddenly lost in Oblivion. The government made every attempt to recover them, but after many years, they gave up. Nathan Cole won't. He makes daily trips, risking his life to try and rescue those still living in the apocalyptic hellscape of oblivion. But maybe Nathan is looking for something else. Why can't he resist the siren call of the Oblivion Song? This collects Oblivion Song by Kirkman and DeFelici, numbers one through six, and it's in shops this Wednesday, September 12th, for a suggested retail price of $9.99. Just a sawbuck, folks. You know, as a sidebar, talking about $10 for a graphic novel, that's a lot of money once upon a time. Like, say, in the 60s, its buying power would be equivalent to $100 in today's economy. What happens to the money? Is it even sustainable going forward? I've got a jaw jack in the works about money and its value and some of the history of money and coinage, but that's not going to be today. But just keep it in mind. Everyone's interested in money. Moving on to Abstract Studios, we have Strangers in Paradise, number 25, trade paperback volume one, The Chase. Written by Terry Moore and drawn by Terry Moore. Kachu and Francine's happy family is in danger when a Parker girl threatens to expose Kachu's shady past before Congress, then goes into hiding. The chase is on as Kachu begins an international hunt for her elusive predator in a race against time. This is in shops September 12th for a suggested retail price of $15.99. Enjoy your reading. And if you can't read, you can still look at all the pitches because that's what they're there for. So let's close that pull box and let me get out of here. Until next week. Adios. <laughs> That's all, folks. Until next week, that is. And uh, in the meantime, go to thepopmachine.net. Visit the site. You'll be glad you did. Or maybe you won't. But you won't regret it. And that's what counts. Keep an eye out for the Pop Machine Coffee Table Kickstarter program, which is still in the works. Just a lot of things to do, and I have to promote it way ahead of time so that when it is ready to come out, you will know something about it. See you next week. Same time, same channel. Scotty, one to beam up.